Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters! Welcome back to another Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters! Today we are doing our third and final installment of Don't Pick Up the Phone, the Netflix series. It has been a wild ride. And just so that you know, Tara is walking into this blind. Yeah. She's going to have some real fun reactions to shit I say. Oh my God. But watch Mm -hmm. it. But watch it. It's not because I didn't want to. It's because I got a new position at work and it's been a week. It's true. But I'm so excited to hear about this. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So we left off with our man buddy, who we love, love, love buddy. <laughs> he drove down to Panama City, which I love in the last episode. He's like, came home, told my wife to pack my bags. And I was like, that's so... Oh, my God. It was like so cute that- the way he said it. Yes! It was. He's like, I'm gonna go get my man. And that <laughs> was like, good for buddy. Like, nobody has cheered harder for buddy than Tara and I. We're like, yes. Yeah, because like, I can't remember if it was the first or second episode, but like, I remember... Because they get on the phone and she says something like, get his, he doesn't, not these words, but basically this message, like, get his ass, get his basically. Ass. Yeah, that's pretty much what she was saying. So in my mind, they're adorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I love it. Mr. and Mrs. Stump, we love you. Just so you know, <laughs> you have you have fans. <laughs> so anyway, so he drives, it's 650 miles, which is, I guess, about 10 hours, I'm assuming that's what Buddy says, because he says it several times that he drove 10 hours and it was 650 miles. And I was like, oh, goodness. So it's real stuck in his brain. Mm-hmm. So he gets down there and he gets him a rat, like gets him in custody and drives back. And on the way back, they kind of like start talking about David to David. And it really kind of gives me that Ed Kemper vibe, like where he's like, mm-hmm. you know, in the car, just shooting the shit. He finds out that like... You know, David was a correctional officer at the at the jail, which we kind of knew. We knew. Mm-hmm. But yes. previously, before he was a correctional officer, he delivered propane. So, like, he would drive around and deliver propane, but not propane accessories. <laughs> <laughs> Only, like, a certain group of people are going to be like, I get that. <laughs> they talked about the fact that he was married and had kids, five children. Like, I expected this dude to be, like, a full-on loner living on his own. Who the fuck has this kind of time? But you know what, though? We've learned that, like, these dudes do this shit because look at BTK. Look at Golden State Killer. Like, Jesus. They went and had fucking normal-ass lives. It's very true. It's very, very true. But it's just, like, 
especially Buddy was just like, wow, he's got all these kids and he's married. Yeah, the 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 double life thing, mm-hmm. the double life thing definitely makes it more scary. The more that Buddy and David talk on this trip, Buddy really kind of like cements the fact that David thinks of himself as a cop. I don't know how correctional officers feel. Like, I don't want to be like, they're not cops if they feel like they're cops, because I don't want that. They are law enforcement of some sort. I don't know what that sort Mm -hmm. is, and I don't want to say otherwise. But, like, he really viewed himself as a good guy, like, one of of those who, like, serve and protect. And Buddy was, like, his biggest takeaway was that he felt like David wanted nothing more in life than to be a cop. He'd gone to the academy. He had applied several times. So this was something that he he really, really wanted. It wasn't panning out for him because I, I have a feeling this had a lot to do with like the psychological evaluation of things because of the fact that like the words mm-hmm. Dave or the words that Buddy uses is that he really wanted to have the authority over other people. And mm. that typically doesn't translate well in those instances. Mm-mm. So he gets back to Mount Washington, Kentucky, which is in Bullet County. Bullet like is in the the movie Bullet. Is it like ends with I T T that movie? Yeah. Or is it like Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they get him there and he is given two charges. He's charged with two felonies, which the first one is solicitation of sodomy, because the spanking mm-hmm. and that stuff. Yeah. And then impersonating an officer, both felons. So yeah. the defense attorney, Steve Romans, Romines, who is the biggest douche I've ever like seen on television for Sherzies, his thing is, is that when David's brother called him, because like David had family members, like I think his like brother-in-law was a cop and like an uncle was mm-hmm. a cop and stuff like that. So like when his brother called him and was like, hey, this happened, Steve thought this was a joke. Like he thought someone was pranking him. Hey, can you take this client? <laughs> no, no, it's real. Yeah. And then he was like, well, I was like, this isn't, he kind of thought it was like an open and shut case because like, how can you sexually assault someone over the phone? This is where his mind was. I mean, I hadn't really heard of this up until this point. Well, if you think about it, it's similar how they put mm-hmm. Manson away. Right. It's coercion to commit mm-hmm. these crimes for mm-hmm. sure. And this is kind of how he went. And so David was, you know, he went before a judge and they set his bail for a half million dollars, which is pretty damn high. And Steve was like, the fuck, this is the highest bail I've ever seen for like this kind of a crime. And really what it was is because David lived in Panama City, which is, you know, there's an ocean, there's an air, international airport there. There's, I think there is one, at least within like a half an hour. There's all of these ways that he could like get out of mm-hmm. the area also it's to note david has never had charges against him not even a speeding ticket dude was like an angel apparently other than this weird thing he did which was mm. freaky and absolutely unacceptable yeah. but because he was a flight risk they were like this is why it's a half million dollars now steve being a good defense attorney went after that and he got it down to a hundred thousand dollars which i don't know if in florida it is but like i think you have to put like five to ten percent up front so like that's a lot more doable for most people not everyone's gonna like be able to put up the right amount of money for a half million dollar bail Mm -hmm. so he gets out and you know buddy's fucking freaked because he's like this dude might just like leave he could just disappear we Mm -hmm. don't have eyes on him in panama city 
But he doesn't, thank God. This dude doesn't flee. The next person who's introduced to us in this show, his name is Javier Leva. If you are a podcast listener, which you obviously are because you're listening to our podcast. (laughs) He is the host of the show called Pretend. And he took a real big interest in this case and started like researching and everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, even today, he's like gone around and asked, like when he travels, he asks fast food managers if they like know about this. And most people don't. Right. So even as like the last known one was in was almost 20 years ago, it was in 2004. Not everyone is aware of this. Mm-hmm. So they bring Deborah back. If you remember her, she worked on a Taco Bell and she was in Georgia. And so she decided because there was nothing she could do. They couldn't file criminal charges against the guy on the phone because they didn't know who the fuck he was. Mm-hmm. She was going to sue the owner of because the Taco Bell happened to be a franchise. I was about to ask. She sued the owner of the franchise and then the manager. They had let the manager go. They like had fired him. But mm-hmm. still she sued him, which I'm like rightfully fucking. Yeah. Sued. Granted. Yeah. At some point he did catch on and was like, this isn't true. But this was like hours into the call. And I'm pretty sure it was because they probably asked him to do something sexual. And he was like, fuck that. Mm -hmm. So she goes in and they her attorney was like, look, what they're going to do is they're going to like assassinate your character. That's how this is going to work. No ifs, ands or buts about it. They're going to go in and they're going to be like. You know, she's a bad person. She's, she, you know, she wants the money, blah, blah, blah. Deborah didn't want to get on this, take the stand. And in these kind of cases, and this is like, I'm not victim shaming. I, I totally understand, like, not wanting to get up in a room full of people you don't know and have to air your dirty laundry. But the unfortunate mm-hmm. side of that is if you are the person who is suing because of something that has happened to you like this and you don't take the stand, your case has less weight. Yeah. And I really think her attorney did her wrong by not explaining that to her before she went through this. Agreed. Because when you go and you're saying they did this wrong, they did me wrong, and then you're not willing to get up on the stand, it sends a mixed message to those Mm -hmm. who make the decisions. Right. Your attorney can get up and be like, oh, my God, she can't. But the judge kind of blamed her for this. She uses a quote from what the judge said. So I'm going to read that and then I'm going to read the part that like I actually took a picture of because I was like, holy shit, this is like worse. So this is this is what the judge said. Court should not be used to to propagate a culture of victimology slash entitlement that Mm. degrades the very sense of individual responsibility and hard work on which this great nation was founded. Bro. It gets worse. The best lessons learned are usually the most expensive. At a tremendous expense plaintiff hopefully will have learned (gasps) to think for herself bro fuck that dude that's not even the worst part tara oh my god so tragically then they put like the cross out that person's name's counsel literally plays up the naivete for the tedious advantages perhaps because of her background she was in quotes Amazingly innocent young woman at the time of the incident occurred. It was important to blank to be good. She also had a tremendous respect for authority. Unfortunately, hold yourself together, Tara. Ready? Unfortunately, 
These qualities allowed her to be victimized by the defendant. Okay, it's her fault. Like, get fucked. Are you kidding me? Could you victim shame any worse? This is the same energy as those people that don't give a shit when sex workers are victims of crimes because of their lifestyle. Dude, like, what the fuck? All, see, here's the thing, though. All that stuff he is saying shouldn't be be like, oh, you know, X, Y, and Z, your own fault, too fucking bad. No, it should be, that's why the defendant is more responsible because she was putting trust into those authority figures. She's young. She thinks that, you know, her boss and all these other people, you know, that the people she could trust, she thinks, you know, cops are people she can trust, which I'm not saying you can't trust cops. But this case, obviously, this fuckhead who's not a cop. But right. wow, I, I, I hate it here. I hate it here. This is what she says. Basically, the synopsis which she took away from her case was, basically, shame on you. Hope you learned Yeah, that's lesson. exactly what it fucking was. Right. But this started making me think, because when I started doing, when I started thinking about this, I was like, okay, this is like a big thing. Like when you cut, like, okay. In the last couple of years, and I know I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going here. And if people don't like it, they can get the fuck off my podcast. I don't care. It's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. Tara's now worried about what I'm about to say. Here's the thing. Three years ago yesterday, George Floyd was killed. And Tara and I took a stand and people got pissed. Mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. why I'm saying, if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. There's been a movement in this country over the last three years, which I support wholeheartedly. And it is the Know Your Rights Act. Yeah. You know, and basically it is saying that you as a private individual, if there is not a fucking search warrant in that cop's hand, you have the right to say no and walk away. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this, this is your God-given fucking American right or whatever. I don't know why I said God-given. I don't really believe that, but whatever. It's just a saying. It's a right that every, like that anyone with any background here has. I'm going to acknowledge in this moment that that is not true in the fact that there are people in this country, there's people in this, I live in a very liberal state and there are people in this state who cannot walk away from a cop because it might be the last fucking thing they do. Assemblymember Isaac Bryan said on the assembly floor yesterday in California in talking about this mm-hmm. that there are people like on Crenshaw who, if a cop tells them they're going to search them, if they said no, that will probably be the last thing that they ever say or yeah. do. Yeah. And acknowledging that it's not fair mm-hmm. and this is, this is my platform and I'm going to use it for what I, what I want to and I choose to use it to better this country because I do believe in this country. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that being patriotic means that you have to be one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I choose to promote the fact that like, I don't give a shit what color of your skin is. You're a human being and you deserve the rights that everyone else gets. Well, see, here's the thing too. Like you said, it's came up a lot in the last few years, but this case alone is showing you, is showing everybody, this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. It's just now because I think because of like social media and because I swear, (laughs) love this in the best way possible. Like Gen Z just doesn't give a fuck. They don't. They just don't give a fuck. But obviously these kind of problems have been happening for fucking ever. And I'm sure even like some of our older spooksters, you know, who may have been like teens and adults in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, like they could come up with, I mean, even not being alive in that time, you can think of examples of the same fucking thing. Mm -hmm. So. And it's just, You look at the Rodney King, the LA City riots, you look Mm -hmm. at those things and know that like when you sit there and say that 
because basically people like Louise, who's the first the first victim we learned about, who is in the Mount Washington case, when she ends up because the next part we're talking about, she ends up suing McDonald's. They basically were like, you were left alone for 10 minutes. Why the fuck didn't you walk out? One, she was naked. And two, she was told by an authority figure. And I firmly believe that these people could have been charged with Fourth Amendment violations because Mm -hmm. it was an unlawful search and seizure. And they were held. They were held kidnapped. Right. That's to me like. You don't. Here's the other thing, too. People that are fucking being assholes about it. It's like, think about it this way. They're having all of the these horrible things happen to them in that moment, mm-hmm. in that stock room or back room office, wherever. Mm-hmm. They might have been afraid that something worse would happen if they tried to leave. Right. I don't know why people didn't think about that. We're talking about rural and marginalized areas. And one of the big common themes that all of these women, I mean, all the women, all the people on the show who were interviewed were women. So like, that's the only context I can give you. The theme was, I was afraid if I didn't do this, I would be arrested or I would lose my job. Yeah. And when you're in an area like Tara and I grew up in a rural area and sometimes having a job, even if it's at a fast food place, is a blessing because there might not be anything else. Right. And that might mean that if you work, if you work hard, you might be able to get health insurance. You might Mm -hmm. be able to put food, more food on the table. You might be able to do the things like if your kids need braces Mm -hmm. or you need braces, you might be able to afford that. And like, I understand like where I sit, like I'm extremely, I'm an extremely privileged person because I have a good job and Mm -hmm. you know, my company pays for my insurance. And if I was in a situation where my entitled ass, if someone asked me to do this, I'd be like, fucking arrest me. Because mm-hmm. I've been sass. <laughs> Literally, I was talking about this with my brother. He's like, you've been sassy since the day you walked out out of mom. <laughs> like, you were just like, mm, you are sassy. <laughs> yeah. But also, my parents told me to challenge authority. If something seems wrong, challenge it. And I understand that that comes from a place of privilege. And I don't want to be out here being like, this is how I do things. And understanding that like other people don't have that luxury Mm -mm. and it breaks my heart but you have the right it's a constitutional right it's the fucking fourth amendment it's a part of the bill of rights is like an unlawful search and seizure they have to be able to back up why the fuck Mm -hmm. it isn't why the fuck yeah and i understand that i don't want anyone to be like well the girl on the podcast i listened to told me to say this but like if you're not in a comfortable situation Ask for a sergeant, ask to have someone, ask to call into the non-emergency line. I don't, I don't have answers because like, again, I've never had to live that. So I've never had to like actually do that. And, you know, I need to be better as a, as a person on this planet and educate myself on like how to help people in this situation. Mm-hmm. But like, sometimes it's like me driving down the street the other day and I saw nine cops with one dude and I yelled, that seems like a bit much. That seems like an overcorrection. And yeah. they laughed because they understood that nine cops to one man that wasn't right no yeah i could have gotten in trouble but again sometimes i understand that like having white privilege means you can speak up for other people Mm -hmm. and i'd rather use it for that than anything else so anyway (laughs) sorry (laughs) you're fine but i mean that's how i feel about this case i feel like this is kind of like i feel like people are caring now about like the yeah. false imprisonment, the, the false searches, because it's happening to these little white girls, or it happened to them. Mm-hmm. And it's making like international news because of this show. 
But this happens to people on the daily. And exactly. You know, statistics show that they never like when they do these like these like stop and frisks for no reason, they don't find anything. So Deborah's case is thrown out, right? She her case is just thrown out. They're like, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. Because apparently it's her fault that she's a woman and being in the presence of an authority figure and being told that a cop is telling him to do this isn't enough. Trash. But on the other side of this, if he had, if he didn't, but if he had gone through, like when Walter Nix did, did his, you can't say like, well, you were being naive, sir, and we're not going to charge you. But you can say like, well, you're being naive and you shouldn't have let this happen to you. I want to know who this fucking judge, because the thing is, that was the judge that said this. Exactly. So like, gross. I'd like to know who this fucking judge is and be like, how many more cases? This is why women, no, this is why people in general don't report sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. Because you get there and they start questioning like, well, what were you wearing? Why were you by yourself? Well, I'm sorry that I was in jeans, having a backpack on, walking to my car late at night by myself. Campus security wasn't available. I needed to get home. I lived in Chico and those were the stories that we heard. It's just yeah. girls going to the park. I literally had a friend who was like, my car is in the parking garage. I left it there last night because there was, I would rather have walked home elsewhere than to go to the parking garage by myself at night. Yeah. And I was like, damn, no, that tracks. So Deborah's case is thrown out. They do contact her a few months later and tell her about David and say like, hey, we think it's some correctional officer in Panama City, Florida. And that's it. Like, that's the only thing she ever gets from this. There's no like justice for Deborah. It's just you're a victim. Poor you. Hope you learn not to trust people. Like, that's the lesson this judge wanted her to learn is don't trust people. Mm -hmm. Then we move on to 2007 in in the show. And Louise Ogborn. She decides that she's going to sue McDonald's because McDonald's had had several cases of this happen to them and they had not reported it out and told anyone. Which I was like, good for you, boo boo. Mm-hmm. Because literally, if it would have taken McDonald's probably all of two days to come up with the graphics and everything like this in 19 fucking 94 when it first happened. You know, in 1994, when they had their first case, I could understand how McDonald's may not have told the whole company, right? But definitely should have told the region, right? The other stores in proximity. Because what if it's a local asshole? Right. You know? What if it's just some dude on a Saturday night board and or whenever it was board and is like, I'm going to do this. You would have called up your regional manager and been like, this happened at one of our stores. We need to let everyone in the company in this area. And then when it probably happened in another area, do the same. And then when it happened to maybe like three people, all over the fucking country, you might be like, you know what? Maybe we should just tell everyone. So Louise is like, I'm going to sue McDonald's. You ready for the amount she sued McDonald's for? $200 million. Whoa. Yeah. In 2021, the net worth. So this is after they pay all their fucking bills. This is after everyone gets raises or doesn't get raises. This is after, you know, the CEO takes his trip to Bali. Whatever the fuck it is. The net worth in 2021 was 7.5 billion dollars and i looked up in 2006 because mind you she that's when she started suing them and she went to court in 2007 Mm -hmm. was 3.5 billion dollars and of course the mcdonald's attorney was like she's just doing this for money 
when you sue McDonald's, you can't sue them for like a hundred bucks or a hundred thousand right? dollars. You have to hit them where it hurts. Yeah. It has to be big because I even thought like, let's say she sued for $5 million, right? Like what was that? The lady who spilled coffee on her. I think she sued for like 10 million and got like two or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They just fucking give you that. Like at that point, like they know where they're in the wrong. If she had sued for $5 million, they'd have written her the check and then moved on. It wasn't about the fucking money. I mean, it's partly about the money because this woman has been traumatized. Also, fun fact, the judge in this case, his name is Tom McDonald, and that made me giggle. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, that's fun. Right away, McDonald's starts having problems. So they hired PIs to serve subpoenas to her friends. And one of them actually got arrested for impersonating a Bullitt County Sheriff deputy. And, like, was harassing and intimidating witnesses. Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah. Also, one of the bailiffs in the court mm-hmm. was paid off and was working on McDonald's time. Why am I not surprised with this fucking point? Right. Louise has an attorney, and I didn't get her first name. Her last name is Old Father, which makes me so happy that her name is Old Father. I don't know why. She is, like litigious like this woman was like i'm gonna fucking get every little thing i can find and sue them with it everything she goes in she starts get trying to get things right Mm -hmm. so she's like mcdonald's you owe us all these things and she asked the question like how did you warn your employees and they were like we didn't because they're what we didn't know about this and they're like but you had all these other cases And McDonald's at this point says they didn't know, but when they like kind of look into it, they find six cases that they knew of because they had settled out of court. So old father gets in there and she's like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I will throw sanctions. The judge was like, I will sanction your ass. I blah, blah, blah. And basically orders McDonald's to release any and all documentation that they have regarding these like hoax phone calls. Mm. 48 hours. Before the trial starts, mm-hmm. 16 motherfucking boxes <gasps> Damn. dropped down. They knew of at least 16 cases and had 16 boxes worth of shit. So, like, let's say, like, each box was one case. Yeah. Which is basically what they were implying. Oh, my God. They didn't have time to go through all this shit. They would have needed an army to go through all that shit. Yeah. But she gets up there and she's like, look. Okay, so she brings all of the binders, all of the boxes, and is like, look yes. at this shit. We didn't have time to go through this. Yeah, but this she is should. everything that they knew about this. Yeah. By the way, this was like the largest amount of money that had ever been sued in this county. Damn. So basically, they were like, we have all this stuff, but we couldn't go through it in time. They waited 48 hours, which they, that's their God-given right, and they can do. It's a, it's a power move, McDonald's. Then they were like, you know what we think? We think... Louise was in on this the whole time. (gasps) We think that she was wanting money from day one. And then they bring in an expert or they bring in a witness. The witness was Tom, the maintenance man. Mm. I no longer like Tom, the maintenance man. He is literally off my Christmas card list forever. Fuck him. He gets on the stand and basically says the next day, Louise was like saying she was like bragging that she was going to get a big check out of this. And I'm like, who the fuck cares? She got, like, fucking raped in an office. For real? Let her get a big check. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't see the problem with that. Did anyone else? No. If you're raising your hand right now, sit down. Just Someone, like, it's not gonna make it right, but it's like, 
fuck you for putting me through this shit. It's not going to make it right, but like she could afford to get the fuck out of Mount Washington, Kentucky for that's for sure. Right, exactly. Right. So the other thing that they did is they had, before the trial started, they basically made the decision that the jury could watch all three hours of the tape. So that includes the actual oral sex that Mm -hmm. took place. The judge, Tom McDonald, described it as it was so quiet in there that at times you could only hear the jury crying. There were members of the jury Mm. watching this happen to this poor girl and they were crying. That's horrible. Right? Now, one of the things that Louise did is she got up on the, she took the stand. She gets up and she's going to be like, I'm telling the story. And she gets emotional. She cries. She's just like, she's here for it. They get her therapy statements. They get all this shit. And one of the things that she's asked is like, has this, how has this affected her health or things like that? And she says, well, she has trouble sleeping because she has these dreams where she's being attacked by someone, but doesn't know who they are, which the person who orchestrated this shit literally was like, mm-hmm. not there. Right. And I'm like, it's rightfully so. Like, her attacker is this voice on the phone. I mean, granted, Walter Nix is also the person who attacked her. And I'm pretty sure she probably had dreams about that, too. But like, mm. and they just said this whole situation was like, her testimony was hard to watch because it was so gut-wrenching. Now, like I mentioned earlier, the McDonald's attorney asks her why didn't you leave you were left alone in the office at one point in time for 10 minutes now if you remember back in case you've forgotten which i understand because this has been three weeks when donna summers was first ordered when she took all her clothes off she was ordered to take her car keys her purse and her clothes out to louise's car and put them in there so she was naked if you remember she only had the apron on from mcdonald's which is a little flimsy thing you know, and she has it wrapped like the bottom around her top because it's the biggest part. You know, she's trying to be like as covered up as possible. When they were like, why didn't she? Why didn't you get up and try to go out the door? And she's like, I didn't think it could. An authoritative figure came over the phone and told her, you can't leave. If you leave, you'll be in trouble. Why would she fucking leave? Right, exactly. And then they try like, so then they tried to spin it on donna and louise what kind of person has this doesn't have this kind of common sense granted i do think donna is just as culpable as mcdonald's because she participated but mcdonald's is culpable on a different level because this had happened 16 other fucking times i would Mm -hmm. think like after the third or fourth one they'd be like holy shit this is a problem we should just spend ten thousand dollars and send out a little poster to all of our stores have them put it up in the office saying that if someone calls pretending to be a cop and asks you to do a strip search, this isn't a thing. If you were if you work at McDonald's now, please tell me if this is posted anywhere too. Mm-hmm. Please go to work yeah. and look and see is this fucking posted and comment in the thread on Facebook. Thank you. That'd be great. Because I don't think it. Uh, there's no way it fucking is. Because they like they never wanted. To, they've never taken actual responsibility for it. So. After a while, they go into deliberation, and Tara, I have happy news. Louise won. Damn. Wow. 
She didn't get her $200 million. Mm. She got $6.1 million, which is still Damn. nice. She can get the fuck out of wa- Mount yeah. Washington, Kentucky. Set her up a she nice look at those life. People. Yeah. Get away from but there. But again, this wasn't about the money. This was about the fact that, like, a corporation didn't do anything to protect its employees. No. At the very end, we're not there yet, but at the very end, they do have, like, you know, like, at the end of documentaries where they, like, write stuff out that they want to tell you that they're just not going to have a narrator say. Mm -hmm. It said that McDonald's claimed they actually had told their employees. (laughs) Motherfuckers, you told us before you did it. Right? Which is it? Come on now. We're not dumb. Right. So you're probably like, what the fuck happened to David Stewart? Right? You should be thinking that at this point. So in October of 2006 in Bullitt County, David Stewart goes in front of a court and, you know, Steve gets up there and I literally wrote in my notes, shut the fuck up. He literally starts talking about social justice now. Like, he kind of made the points that, like, he's like, yeah, you know, like, this kind of shit doesn't happen today because, like, it would go on the internet and all the social justice, but I'm kind of like, shut the fuck up, Steve. There's literally a man who orchestrated the sexual assault of at least 72 people that we know. Mm-hmm. You helped him get out. So their evidence is really this. The evidence is the Walmart tape. It's the prepaid calling card. It's the fact that he knew the area really well. One of the things that we find out is the calls that were made to the Massachusetts where Elizabeth was, if you remember, that's how like Vic got involved. Those calls were made from a gas station that David had actually delivered propane to when he was a delivery driver. So we knew the area. Mm-hmm. Probably was known by people in that area if he had done that in the past because it meant like people would just be like, oh, David's on the phone. You know, not a big deal. However, this is kind of where things start unraveling because there's no security footage of him staying on that phone for 90 minutes. There's none of that happening, which Mm -hmm. let's face it. He probably picked places that didn't have security cameras. Yeah. They checked a lot of the call and I don't think there was a single call that was made that he was working. So that like that alibi wasn't there. He was always off. That was one of their things of saying like, well, he wasn't working. So he could have very easily made these calls. Right. Mm-hmm. However, a couple of the calls he had an alibi for. His wife said that, like, when she was working, he was had to pick up the kids from school and had to be with them. And that was some of these calls were made during that time. So she was saying, however, my thing would have been like, how do we know that he didn't get someone to come over and watch the kids? How do we know that, like, you know, he just didn't tell his wife he left their kids by themselves? I don't know. The shit could have happened. Just poked holes in that. <laughs> they didn't. And Steve, like Jose Bias, is a showman. So they go and they deliberate and David is found not guilty. Wow. Interesting fact. This hasn't happened since 2004 when he was caught. There have been no known cases of this happening. Which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that, like, the, this is, this, he gets caught. One of the things that Steve spun is, if you remember in the last one, he gets caught and he's like, oh, thank God this is over, right? And Steve spun it, not that he was confessing, which is what everyone in the room thought he was doing, but Steve said, the reason he said that is because he'd been interrogated all this time. And he was like, oh, thank God this is over. Like, the interrogation is over. And they're like, 
we barely talk to him. But once you put something in a jury's mind, it's really hard to change. Mm. And Steve seems like he's very good at selling a narrative, which if you're a defense attorney, that's what you got to do. You're selling a narrative. Yeah. We still don't have to like it, though. <laughs> no, we don't like it. So that's kind of where it ends. They talk about the fact that they asked David to, or they, on the, when they do the end wrap up, they asked David to speak. He declined. No one from McDonald's wanted to speak. They declined. So really, there's this weird phenomenon that happened in, in America for 10 years where a person was calling rural fast food joints and coercing other people to commit sexual assault. And it stopped when the guy got caught, but it's not him. Interesting. Like, I believe it's him. I believe David Stewart is the gentleman responsible. I just think he probably thought he would never get caught because he Mm -hmm. wasn't calling people in his area. Yeah. And the thing was, is like, you know, Elizabeth was like 100% sure. She spoke like these women spoke to him on the phone. They've heard his voice. Right. Exactly. And like, that's not a voice you're going to forget. This isn't like if someone were to ask me like, hey, did you get a call the other day from like a, you know, like a person? Can you describe their voice? I might not be able to. But I guarantee you, if I was put in that situation, I would be able to describe that voice. Yeah, for sure. It would never leave my mind. That's kind of all I have for this. Any final thoughts? Just this whole thing is disgusting. It's not only disgusting at what he did, because I'm convinced too it was him, but it's like looking at like that judge and that bait, like everybody that was paid off. Like it's just, it's so gross. And it just. I'm glad they made a series about it because I like probably I don't. Did you hear about this before? Or no. Mm-mm. Yeah. I see, was like so many of us, and you were like blindsided, completely yeah. blindsided. Yeah, you didn't when even know the series started. I was thinking this was going to be like a harassment thing. Somebody was like, I mean, it was in in a sense, yes. But I was thinking it was going to be like someone was stalking someone, and you know, like that chick that. Is all over the like Instagram and stuff where it's like she called her ex boyfriend thirty thousand times or something like that. Like <laughs> I was thinking like it was gonna be something like that, and then when they said it, I was like, "What?" And the fact that like I lived in a rural area, this could have very easily happened to someone in Corning. Like I'm just saying, totally. And like I knew people who worked there in high school, and unless everyone working at your McDonald's is bald and has a very distinctive like nose, describing someone as young blondish hair maybe darkish hair you're gonna hit something mm-hmm. and that's what was happening to these these individuals and i just want to put this out there if you were if you're listening and you were a victim and you weren't on the show and just know that like our hearts are with you and yeah. we i want justice for you unfortunately at this point for anything to happen in this case one of the other cases has to have like someone else, like another judge in another area has to be like, okay, I'll sign off and do this. And maybe this Netflix series will ha- have that happen. You know, maybe a judge will be like, okay, I've seen this. I've heard these other women talk or these other people talk. And I want to like, I want to move forward. So I don't know what the statue of limitation is on this kind of crime, but I hope it's not over. Me too. With that, We're going to go ahead and wrap it up and we will be back here on Monday for another episode. And I don't know what next series we're starting for Stabby's because this seems to be like a fun thing we're doing. And yeah, we have a 
Yeah, and we have a list going, so it'll be the start of a new series. So we'll see you then. Yep. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.